It's persimmon season at the Ojai Farmer's Market, and the hugging guy is still giving away free hugs, also known as frugs. <laughs> it's persimmon season at the Ojai Farmer's Market, and the hugging guy is still giving away free hugs, also known as frogs. <laughs> I added that in for myself. I could take it off. I'm sorry. It's persimmon season at the Ojai Farmer's Market, and the hugging guy is still giving away free hugs, also known as frogs. Take a stroll around the chilly November market, and you'll notice that a clever sign popped up next to the Fuyu persimmons. The Fuyu is the squatty orange cousin of the traditional acorn-shaped persimmon. The sign read. Have a bad childhood memory of eating an unripe persimmon? Try these. Yes, said every kid ever. Why do unripe persimmons make the inside of your mouth feel like the Sahara Desert? They're full of unfriendly saliva-sucking tannins. Thankfully, Fuyu persimmons can be enjoyed at any state of ripeness. Fuyu traditional persimmons. <laughs> the story. Welcome back to the Townies Podcast. I am Kim Maxwell, and I am a Townie. I am a Townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, the raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same. To go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories. Because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Episode 26, To Thine Own Self, Be Kind. Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, written and performed by Doug Knott. Doug is an old-school spoken word poet from the 1980s punk scene of Los Angeles, where he still feels at home. I am honored and thrilled to have him spinning his poetic yarns in my class. Doug and the rest of our storytellers today are all making their Townies podcast debut. Welcome aboard. We've gone so many places, you and I, and I've been your faithful companion for years. You've habituated to me, but you know that I, like yourself, am going through 
an aging process. <laughs> My zippers do not zip as well as they did. <laughs> With all that fabric fraying out, and I hope you'll decide to fix my expendable handle so those little screws stay in or else they're going to pop out again. <laughs> also, I want to gently remind you, you've got stuff still that you forgot and left in my side pockets. Fortunately, nothing organic. <laughs> Dear me, sounds like I'm falling apart. I know we're good friends. We have been since Janet gave me to you long ago. Specifically, I am the maximum dimension that is allowed in an airplane overhead luggage compartment. <laughs> I admit, I'm a bit elderly for an ordinary little black suitcase that you roll around everywhere. But I believe I'm still trim and sporty enough and even sexy. <laughs> I'm as synthetic as they come, straight out of an oil pipeline from under the Gulf of Mexico. I might have been fabricated in China, for all I know. As for your ancestry, we know where you're from. Way down under Mason-Dixon, a backward banana on the map with fresh pecans, a billion loblolly pine trees, big flat old pole beans with bacon fat, corn fritters, and segregation. You left home when you were 13 to go to a Yankee boarding school and never went back. Bye-bye, Confederate ancestors with their sabers and their silver tombs. <laughs> you lived in Brazil, New York, and all over California, but you're from nowhere. You're an Anglo, a wannabe New York Jew. You go folksy-doksy. You've been in ashrams in India and whorehouses in Cambodia. You've been a merchant marine sailor and built adobe houses in New Mexico. You even coached one poor soul through a new age therapy system until you quit playing therapist forever. Too much listening. <laughs> Responsibility for a guy who likes to talk a lot. And as a passing good actor, you imitated being a lawyer for 30 years. Judges and most clients accepted it. But then, of course... None of your clients ever did anything wrong. <laughs> You're a chameleon with the suit and necktie crowd, the rock and roll cavorters, and the poet loners. And now the old people you see in coffee houses, alone, reading the New York Times, missing MSNBC. <laughs> I know how invisible you like to be, even though you talk loud. You're, you are all about impatience, anxiety, friendliness, and having a good time. I am all about holding, acceptance, waiting, service, and adventure. So we're both mixed bags. <laughs> you could replace me, but I will probably outlive you with my tough, perhaps even patented, fabrics. <laughs> I'm always carrying your close personal things. Inside me, I carry your heart pills, blood thinners that you take every day, the electric razor, two shirts, four t-shirts, spare undies, and the traveler's great helpful friend, a nine-foot extension cord. <laughs> <clears throat> and now I'm your little closet rolling up to Ojai and back down to L.A. every week. You don't even take the stuff out of me when we get there. We were in Ojai together that fateful night, December 4, when all the power went out everywhere. It got cold very fast. On the phone, Janet said, 
come on down to LA and warm up. <laughs> you packed me by flashlight, and we went out on Encinal, but saw only the bright night stars. What is it? Ventura Power Company pulling a dum-dum? No sound at all, like a silent movie with no piano. But when you turned the right angle down La Luna, there it was. Yellow flames and purple glare going up in fountains to the top of the sky. That fire went sideways, both directions, as far as you could see, stretching your eyes like Genghis Khan's infinite horde coming up over the hill in full blast cinemascope. And seen behind a silhouetted structure, you saw those flames were 20 to 30 feet high. You imagine the heat. You couldn't even get within 300 feet of that without protection. Even I would melt. You're the guy that's lived long enough to have two houses burned down. Those fires gobbled up everything, including your complete collection of original R. Crumb comics, <laughs> temple rubbings from Thailand, and secret stash of $100 bills. Your piano transformed into a big blazing set of false teeth right in front of your eyes. You know, as with big wildfires, there's both an objectivity, like in the newspaper, and a subjectivity, the heart-sinking disruption of personal loss. On the 33, driving through Casita Springs with the fire right above you, you felt like a caveman obeying a primitive command to escape a conflagration greater than you could even conceive. Even I held on tight. Some people were asleep at 10 p.m., but they were going to wake up to it. I was beside you in the passenger seat when you saw the gas tank was close to empty. You figured that all electric power would be out all the way down the 101 to Thousand Oaks. So no juice to run any gas pumps. But you can make it, barely. You saw the horrible beauty of the golden flames scrabbling over the hills like a huge itch in the black night. The light reflected in twisting purple robes of smoke and fog that ran all the way down to Oxnard. I know that when I say, I love you, it makes you anxious. But that's, that's what all that therapy's for, right? <laughs> You've lived more than 70 years, but the psyche, where you play fight or flight, never erases. You've read quite a few books about healing the heart and digested the self-help section over there at Bart's Books. <laughs> but what have you learned? <coughs> that love heals? Maybe the force of gravity itself is an expression of love between stars. Because you now have an old body, you're learning the physics of the law of entropy. You know how old people complain when they have to do something physical by saying how old they are in years? Those numbers are like mental rungs on a ladder going up or down or nowhere. You've done your best to always be independent, but you know you need the help of other people now. On that score, you're so lucky to be married to Janet. She knows your contents too, like me, but she has wonderful arms to hold you, and she loves you. And I love you too. Please don't get anxious and run away from that. I'm a friend to help you face the unknown future where you are afraid of risking your wings. Hold on to Janet in your heart like you hold me by the handle. 
please ignore my permanently retracted left wheel and that I now only go one direction. <laughs> so, where are we off to next? Let's roll! And that was Doug Knott telling it like it is. Body Love Train, written and performed by Sierra Hoskins. One of my daughter's oldest friends in the world, I have been lucky enough to know the brilliant, community-minded, loyal-to-the-bone Sierra since she was 12 years old. She is a long-haired, poetry-loving, sociology-degree-toting activist with a big laugh and an even bigger heart. I love me. <laughs> I think a lot about how contradictory that may be. An American society with hard-impressed Eurocentric beauty standards drenched in weight loss culture, overweight, chubby, curvy, voluptuous, fat girl with a smile on her face and confidence in every step. I can hear some of you now thinking, fat? Oh no, you're beautiful, honey. <laughs> I didn't say ugly bitch, I just said that! <laughs> because that's what I am. Have been, really, since about the third grade. And even with weight fluctuations anywhere between about 80 pounds, baby, I probably always will be. I will probably always have these love handles that jeans reject almost completely, thank the fat gods for leggings. <laughs> I will probably always have these thick thighs and wide calves making the boots I love to wear work a little overtime. I will probably always have this butt and belly, perfect cushions for when a pillow is just too far away. I struggle most with a love for my arms, but they function, ultimately help me write these words down, and for that, I'm grateful. I think most people find women like me unnerving especially when we love ourselves loudly and shamelessly, a revolution on some scale, that is. God forbid we actually enjoy sex or have a lover or partner that's half the size of us. Blasphemy, insanity, treason! <laughs> Stop pretending like you are worried about fat people, like you care about fat people, like our health is such a concern for you, like your life's purpose is to let every fat person know that they're fat and that fat's not okay and that we're gonna die super soon because we're so fat. <laughs> Surprise. Anyone else's body besides yours is not your business. Next time you open your mouth to pass judgment or give someone advice on the physical vehicle that is another human's body, make sure they asked you. Make sure you're speaking from a place of truth and compassion. And if you aren't, check yourself. Take a deep breath and ask yourself what kind of person you are, and don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Darling, it is 2018. If you don't open up your mind quite a bit and jump on this body love train, I'll be forced to recount every romantic and sexual escapade involving smaller men, half my size, eating this up like cake, cake, cake. <laughs> Are you uncomfortable yet? <laughs> My daily existence on this lovely, tragic planet 
is a love letter to me. Wow, Sierra Hoskins. Time and eternity 
And that was Perla Bataya with Out of the Labyrinth from her exquisite album, Heaven and Earth, The Mestiza Voyage. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. Dear Rennie Marie, written and performed by Ren D'Angelo. Though new to my class, Ren is already a leader amongst their classmates. Wide-eyed and infatuated by the work of other people, Ren is a dedicated advocate for self-expression, an endless source of positive reinforcement, and class snack bringer. Non-binary means not male, but not female. A beautiful blend of two binary genders. This means a different thing for everyone, but to Ren, it means born into the wrong body. It means that he and she pronouns are like knives churning in the soul. It's hard to explain, but it's what feels right. And although it does not make sense grammatically, they and them are freeing pronouns. What they, them means to Ren emotionally is trying, giving a shit. Knowing that you're making an effort, it means validation. It feels like clarity, meaning, and purpose. Even when you bumble and tumble and fall, you still care, and that's all that matters. There are too many words to describe how good it feels. Most babies develop inside the womb. Anya developed there, Rend not. Something went wrong, however, when Anya was born. Anya had big red lips and chubby cheeks, long fingers, eyes as blue as a summer sky. She was beautiful even as she was chunky. (laughs) Anya loved bossing people around, turning the world upside down into some place that didn't exist. At some point, Anya realized she was made up just like everything else in her world. Ren began to become real. Her grandma told her to pray every night. She prayed for genitalia, and by the time she was in second grade, she was starting to lose faith. Her body was a vessel. Somewhere along the way, Ren began to develop. Ren was being born, thinking, but they were pushed back by society, by parents. Anya died a long time ago. In an alternate dimension, they were born as a boy. They were born as a boy who likes girls, but not as much as they like guys. They got to play with boys' toys and wear boys' clothes, and when they said they were a boy, they were not corrected. Depression hit differently. Not the kind of depression caused by outer body dysphoria and tragic misplacement, but by normal garden variety, teenage, junior high hormonal depression. (laughs) They did not have to start hormones. They did not have to feel like they didn't belong in their own body, and it was not as complicated to explain why they wanted to wear girls' clothes. They would not be mistaken for a girl who wears girls' clothes. They would just be, is that a boy or is that a girl? Because it looks like a boy, but that can't be right. And they'd be achieving their goal. After 17 years, she lives on as a vessel now properly inhabited. Anya is not trapped. She is free, but still deceased. The malfunction in the womb is finally being undone, and Anya is finally found. There are a beautiful mix of two souls. Not male, not female, not straight, not gay, not lost, but not yet found. It's Ren's turn to develop, and it won't be complete for probably another 17 years. They had to fight a little bit more before they could unlock the final chapter, the chapter that would take up the most of their long and filled life. This baby will bloom and help others to develop as well. It's finally time for Rennie Marie to take a breath because they have too much weighing them down. It's now, maybe 15 years later, that they are ready to hear that one day they will have a beard and a mustache to match. Their hair is almost down to their shoulders, shaved on the sides, white and curly on top. Their eyes are bluer than they have ever been because there is no more fog to cloud them. They are finally free. They smile again, that crinkly smile, the one that shows all their yellow teeth and red gums, the one they cannot fake. 
They'll remember the rhythm of breathing, of blinking, of being happy. Boredom no longer consumes them because they are too full of work and of life. They have reached the gold at the end of their rainbow. They have ascended over. They are finally ready to be found. So Rennie Marie can be free because this journey is long and they're more eager than they realize to begin. This is the end result in their own body in Vermont, where it's orangey red, just a touch of first snow on the ground. Rennie Marie wears a big, ugly, warm jacket with big fuzzy boots and a beanie with danglies. <laughs> Rennie Marie takes a deep breath, one of those really deep, complete, satisfied, full breaths and knows they're beautiful. We just heard from Ren D'Angelo. Normal, written and performed by Elaine Unzicker. When she's not writing, laughing at her own expense, or pushing herself to overcome personal obstacles, Elaine is designing beautiful metal lace accessories for her small business. For someone who makes chainmail, Elaine is one of the most open, authentic, and unguarded people I have ever met. Oh, hi. In the early morning, it's cold and brisk and wearing a scarf and jacket and trying to keep your hands warm. You allow your jacket sleeves to extend down about two inches with your hands tucked in up inside to keep warm. You are walking and you suddenly feel a pain on your right arm, followed by a slight pain in your heart. And you continue walking, questioning whether this is okay. Are you okay? You keep noticing the pain in your arm is not going away and you might even be a little annoyed, but you keep walking because you're almost done with the hike. And now you're a little warm, so you take off your jacket and notice a honeybee dropping from it to the ground. Oh, <laughs> did you get stung? So you start stripping off the extra layer so you can get a closer look. And sure enough, the bee has stung you on the right arm, below the right shoulder. Panic sets in. You have always swollen up in a big way with bee stings. Not allergic, but not normal. Not like other people. You race home and smear a baking soda and vinegar concoction all over the sting area. But it swells. It swells to the size and color of a pomegranate. So you annoy the Chinese herbalist, who is not a morning person, on his private cell phone because you are too sensitive. This is your third sting from a bee. The first time as a child, you stepped on a bee barefoot. The foot swelled so bad, you couldn't even get your shoes on. The second time is on an L platform in Chicago in early fall when the bees are hanging out around the garbage cans on the platform. That time of year when summer is almost over and you aren't quite sure, they aren't quite sure what to do. So you ended up getting stung on the right arm near the elbow. So painful. And why is there always so much swelling? Why can't they leave you alone? 
and why can't you react like a normal person? <sighs> Do you want to go to the hospital? Do you want to go to the hospital? April 2007, my boots, the ones I bought at the Ventura Ugg outlet, crunched through the snow predicted here in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm heading back to the hotel. I've reached an intersection where I can either walk up a long hill or wait for the light to change and cross the street. I sense the snow may be a little slippery if I choose the hill, so I wait. In the next moment, I find myself flying through the air. My right hand braces the fall. I don't even know what's happened. As I come to stillness, I realize pain is taking over. Crying, I'm laying down on the entrance to the expressway. My knees are bent, I'm on my back, and I can't move my right arm. I see a man on a bicycle. He's screaming, I'm homeless! I don't have any money! Are you okay? Still crying! <laughs> A man in a Patagonia parka helps me to my feet and tells me, you'll be fine. You're just a little bruised. Still crying. Take her to the hospital. I can't do it. She needs help. I only have my bike. Why am I still crying? Why do I still cry whenever I talk about it? Because my elbow is actually fractured? Because the homeless guy cared more for my well-being than the Patagonia Parker guy? Or am I just a not normal, too sensitive kind of person? <sighs> I first feel the gun pointed at me as I turn to walk out of this little corner store. May 2007 in Tacoma Park, Maryland. A funky little town just outside of D.C., I see two guys with hoods up and dark glasses on. One guy points to me and tells me to stand in a corner. The other guy has a gun and he's pointing it at the cashier. The money from the register is gone, but the guy wants to see the safe. The cashier says, there isn't a safe. The gun guy doesn't believe the cashier and becomes more aggressive, pushing him, shoving him. The cashier takes him in back to see that no safe exists. No safe exists. Meanwhile, another person comes in, which agitates the guy watching over me. He orders me to get down and orders this new person to get beside me. So both of us are squatting in the corner. No safe means they're on their way out, right? They do not ask for our money. No gunshots, no one hurt. But I cry. I cry and I shake, and it's been months and I still cry. When will this be over? I can't possibly cry this much. <laughs> the tears encase my body as in a cocoon and hold it. Why is it not okay to cry out? Because people will see? Because what will they think? Because of my dad or because of the kid who stuck pins in me in the seventh grade? <laughs> I would think normal people would cry if someone stuck them with a pin in the seventh grade. <laughs> I wouldn't judge you. <laughs> I would welcome.
from your tears. I would want you to cry. I would want you to scream. You have a lot to scream about. My God. Who sticks pins in people anyway? Maybe throw a tantrum, break a few things. I would want you to be heard. I would want you to be heard. And that was Elaine Unziker, closing this week's episode of the Townies Podcast. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world, to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. And that was Doug Knott kicking off this week's episode. And that was also a burp suppression. Ew. <laughs>